Ennis Britton, how can I help you? Hello, sir. Hey. hey, I've got kind of a weird one. You have a minute? Of course. I like the weird ones. All right, here we go. So I've got a kiddo with some communication needs. Um, she's making a lot of progress. We're really happy with her growth, using lots of different things for her, um, some verbal prompting, some signage, those types of things. Um, in addition, we're using an iPad with some communication software, mm -hmm. and that's been a pretty good tool. We've seen a lot of growth with her, enough to where we've stopped sending it home because of her progress. And the issue we're having now is dad is super upset and wants us to keep sending the device home. So I got to say, this doesn't sound so weird. This sounds fantastic. Is it just a matter of helping the parents understand the progress their daughter's made? Yeah, something like that. There's a little more to it. Um, so here's the thing. We know iPads aren't that expensive. It's not mm -hmm. that big a deal. It's not even worth the battle. I don't want to pick a fight. I want to see her grow. I want the relationship in place. But when we sent the device home, it came back acting glitchy acting funny, whatever. I had IT take a look at it, try to figure out what's going on. And once they got in there, they found all kinds of porn on the device. Welcome to On The Call, Ennis Britton's special education team podcast. I am Erin Westendorf-Fortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. Well, it's always fun when we, uh, you know, the topic of porn comes up in, in a podcast. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, based on a real story. Actually, based on several real stories, unfortunately. Oh, plenty of times that people are like, we don't want to send devices home because we're concerned about the porn. Yeah. You know, I had one where it was, um, we don't want to send it home because they're going to sell it to buy drugs. But that's just not as fun. No, not it's not. The, the porn example is way more fun. Because if they sell it to buy drugs, then we start to do certain restrictions on the equipment that's, you know, sent home or not sent home and how we can best give access. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, we got to have fun doing the podcast and making examples for us to talk about. So, you know, assistive tech, I do think is at least an interesting conversational element when we talk about school districts and how they fit it into IEPs or how they're able to provide those services and what they look like. Are they required? How do we do evals? Do we have to do an eval? Those sorts of pieces. Yeah. And, and we've got some really specific definitions and, and as is often the case, some of the defin definitions refer to other definitions, right? So, um, you know, when do we need to have assistive tech as a part of uh, a child's free appropriate public education? Well, if it's required, very heavy high dollar word there, if it's required as a part of special education, uh, which we have a definition for that, related services, we have a definition for that, or supplementary aids and services, we also have a definition for that. And I feel like uh, with special ed and related services, we're all on the same page there. But yeah. as far as assistive uh, supplementary aids and services, that maybe is a little less well understood. Well, and I think it is. But it, when you look at the definitions, right, and you, you dig into that black letter law, it really is defined. There is a link back to 504 access. So when you're in those regs, it links directly to do we have 504 access and is it a requirement in order to allow that child to receive access to their education. And if it is, then it's going to be a required supplementary aid and service as part of their IEP. Under IDEA, yes. importantly, because then all of a sudden uh, a, a challenge could be brought under all the different ways that IDEA allows a, a parent to challenge what's being provided to their child. So they don't need to just stick with 504. 
But some of this equipment can be rather expensive, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're talking high dollar amounts. That's for how some you buy of, the drugs. That's you how you it. buy the drugs is when you sell it. High dollar equipment, high dollar drugs, or, you know, just a lot of porn for Girl. the cost. I don't know. Um, but we have to remember, right, as part of FAPE, what is the F in FAPE? It's free. The F word in FAPE is free. The F word in FAPE is free. And so we can't charge parents for this. But what about, Jeremy, if we do have instances where we're allowing them to take it home and they are selling it for drugs or using it for inopportune purposes, do we have to allow them to continue to take it home? Yeah, it's tricky. And the regulations do specifically address the idea that a team might conclude that the device, this is on a case-by-case basis, that assistive tech needs to go home or to other settings, wherever they may be, you know, imagine sports or whatever else it may be that the school offers, uh, in order for the child to receive FAPE. So that, that's the line. And then once, once something's required for FAPE, pretty much nothing else matters, right? So then it's, it's not a matter of do we allow it to go to those settings. It's a matter of what are some steps we can take to limit our losses, which is another way of saying ensure the child has the tools that he needs. Because if daddy's looking up porn, child's not using that device to do what the child's supposed to be doing. This is correct. Um, but I also think with that, though, you're, you're hitting on one of the moments, and I know we didn't necessarily talk about this beforehand in some of our prep for this podcast was, you know, it is a team discussion, though, of how much it's needed outside of school. And I know that sometimes it can just be easy, right? We, we just send the device home because they asked for it. There's a long holiday break. We really wanted to work with this kiddo on some of the, you know, talking features with regard to the iPad, maybe. And so we just sent it home. We didn't really have a discussion as an IEP team. But then it becomes so much of a practice that we've done this, that now, even though we never had a discussion, is it now molded in as FAPE? Mm-hmm. Well, and COVID has also accelerated that, right? A lot of one-to-one situations with devices for all children. So what does that look like? It, it Maybe a, a way to wrap our brains around this is a classic example would be a child who has significant language deficits and 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 literal physical struggles with expressing language uh, verbally. Mm-hmm. And for that child... The iPad uh, with, you know, Proloquo on it or something might be their voice. And if we're trying to work on communication, fundamental to everything else we do in this child's education, taking the voice away and making communication frustrating or ineffective for that child outside of school, that that's kind of a classic example of where probably sending this across all environments, including outside of school, is important for that child to receive FAPE. Fair, as compared with maybe um, any of your adapted PE sort of equipment going home over Christmas break or summer break, sorry, holiday break, winter break, Mm -hmm, whatever we mm -hmm. call it, and summer break, probably not as fundamental to those child's needs, children's needs, as maybe the communication device would be. I think that's a great example. And, and, and these definitions also include not just the device, but they're also potentially providing training, right? Mm-hmm. So services related to the device. So the services could get into even fitting devices, evaluating, you'd referenced earlier, training not just our staff, not just the child, but potentially the parents as well. Because if this is the child's voice outside of school, the parents may need to have a role in, in using that device. And they may be important partners in terms of programming some of the language. There might be words we wouldn't think of in the school context that would be important for that child to be able to express. 
But do you think at all that I know that consideration of whether or not we include or whether a child needs assistive tech as part of the IEP process, right? Do you think that automatically requires us to do assistive tech evals every time we do an ETR? I mean, I, I think that there is some question to that because there could be speech to text. There could be other aspects that doing an assistive tech eval doesn't necessarily make sense, but a related service provider could recommend a keyboard or, you know, gen ed person could go ahead and make a recommendation that a speech to text is easier for a student in order just to work through some of their thought processes, right, in order mm-hmm. to do a writing skill, for example. And so I don't know necessarily that an evaluation would get you much, but do you think it's necessary in order to put assistive tech on an eval or on an IP? No, I, I definitely don't think it's necessary for it to be in the IEP. It seems like isn't that more of a situation where if uh, we were using some particular tool, and I'll, I'll have the child who would struggle to communicate without some sort of assistive tech, if the device that we're using with the child or the program on that device, which is also assistive tech, uh, if that's not working, you know, we're not getting the progress we would expect, then either we set an unrealistic goal for reasons unrelated to the tech, or maybe we don't have a tool that's right. You know, I had a kid once who she was lugging around, and this this is going to be a flashback. It was a uh, Vanguard, I think it was called. And this massive, obsolete device, uh, sort of like my car sitting out in the parking lot right now, uh, <laughs> that, that was on its last legs, hard to find replacement parts, same. And um, so... The, the child was lugging this thing around, and it was so heavy, and she was so little and weak that it, it was useless for her. She needed an iPad mini, and that's all that was going to work. And we had a fight over that, actually, believe it or not. But uh, that would be an example of where, you know, maybe if it wasn't as obvious to just give the kid an iPad, that maybe we would find that we needed to find the right program that mm-hmm. goes onto the iPad because maybe it was a little too complex, whatever we were planning on using. Well, or, or what device sort of works best for that kid, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it may just be provides the best progress or allows them to m- get access to the education. And I do think, you know, just to be clear, and I know we say this in each podcast, at the end of each podcast, you know, we, we can't give legal advice for each and walk through each example. But I do think just knowing broad level, get the wheels churning mm-hmm. about when when do we actually have a trigger to do an eval versus when do we just know because we've been in this business, we are experts, not, well, Jeremy and I are experts in our own fields, but as educators, we're experts in knowing what works for kids. And when a student presents as this, that this may be a good option to consider. You know, I have to take exception. You said you weren't going to swear during these podcasts, but you just used the B word. What is uh, the B word? You, you said best. What oh. works best for this kid? Oh. And I, I want to be careful about that, right? Yes. So uh, thankfully, idea doesn't require what's best because it's not funded even at, at its level of appropriate. Uh, but that is important when we think about kind of we're jumping ahead a little bit to the practical tips. But there's nothing in the regulations, nothing in the black letter law that says make it the best, make it the most up to date, make it the parent's preferred AT. It's not that. It's something that's going to do what we need it to do. It's appropriate for this child. Well, speaking of which, let's jump ahead. We've got a case here out of uh, Racine, Wisconsin. The Racine Bells. The Racine Bells. Yeah, we. <laughs> As compared to the, you're disappointing me. I am. Rockford Peaches. Oh, the really? Peaches, of course. Yes. Really? Yeah. Rockford Peaches, Racine Bells, League of Their Own, 1992. <laughs> Great Halloween <laughs> costumes this year. It was just fun. Sorry. Go ahead. You're racing. Uh, this was not the a Racine kid Bells. who was playing so- baseball. 
Maybe. I don't Softball, know. Softball, baseball, Could whatever. Be. Playing ball. We got a child with a significant uh, visual impairment, and um, the child is using Braille uh, and a Braille note taker to, you know, work through school. And the IEP clearly spells out this is across all environments. So, hey, great, check the boxes, right? You know, yes, we know we think AT is needed. Here's what we're using. The challenge came when the parents said, gosh, it'd be really helpful if my child could bring home the Braille note taker to do homework and projects and stuff like that. I envision, this isn't captured in the decision, deer in headlights teacher sitting there in that meeting uh, saying, well, um, uh, well we, have a, we can't send it home. Well, why not? Well, uh, there's a policy. Something like that, I suspect, is what occurred. Uh, but the teacher helpfully said, well, you know, I'll, we'll follow up on it, though. Four months later. Eesh. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that, that was the sound effect, so it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was not. That was all me. It needs to be a recorded one. That's a really good that one. That would be a good mm-hmm. one. Uh, four months later, the child's allowed to take the Braille note taker home. And uh, the, the school agreed that moving forward, they would do that. Well, that, that wasn't enough to save them. Um, th- in this case, it was, this was a complaint with the Wisconsin Department of Education. And the Department of Ed said, look, we got, we got at least a couple of problems here. One is you can't have a policy that you can't take AT home. That's just straight up unacceptable. The second problem is even though you eventually gave this kid the device, it was four months later. Uh, never mind, and this is kind of tangential to all this, in the same complaint it was accurately alleged that the teacher that was serving the child, the IS, went on leave with like a month and a half of school left, and they weren't able to find a replacement. Whoops. And mind you, this is in 2018, back when, you know, we actually had teachers available to staff. I mean, yeah, you know, questionable even then, I think, just <laughs> yeah, not probably. to our level of need now. Not to yeah. the same level. Uh, so... Uh, we had some problems here, and, and you can certainly imagine why and how this seemed really clear that especially as a child like this, maybe that Braille note taker isn't terribly important in kindergarten or first grade. That's not to say there's not magic that happens down then, but maybe we're expecting less to be done at home. But boy, as we advance through get into middle school and high school, kids, part of doing school is doing stuff at home. And in effect, the school was... T- in not allowing this initially, it's almost as though they were taking away our hands, right? I mean, that's the, that's the comparable to the typical peer. So you can see how this turn, case turned out the way it did. So let's learn from it. So w- what are some practical tips then? What do we do next to not be the racing bells of the AT world? <laughs> racing bells were fine. Did they, they didn't win though, right? It was the... No. Are you really questioning that again? Well, you need to go back and watch it. There's a new uh, television series about it, too, um, okay. A League of Their Own, but it yeah. doesn't have the originals. It uh, doesn't have the Rosie O'Donnells and the Madonnas and the Gina Davises. It doesn't have any of those. So uh, I'm going to go back original. Plus, Tom Hanks, come on. There's no crying in baseball. I'm so sorry. Um, practical pointers, at least from this perspective, where I would go – Make sure your policies do not require, you know, blanket, nothing goes home. Because you have BYOB policies now, and you have, here's a device, we're one-to-one in a lot of places. So, Did you say BYOB? Oh, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I meant BYOD, whatever. So bring your own device, not bring your own um, beverage. Uh, My apologies. BYOD and or one-to-one policies for we give a Chromebook or whatever other device home for every kiddo. So I I do think that making sure your policies are in place that match what's actually happening in practice and having that IEP team discussion if it needs to go home. I think that that's – it's key. Is this FAPE for this child to have it at home? 
Yeah, let's talk more about that BYOD. So uh, if we BYOD and the child's showing up with a device that serves the function that we need, we got to keep in mind, again, the F word of FAPE is free. And like, if you want extra credit uh, or a gold star for compliance, it would be best to document the agreement that we're going to use that tool. And I'm not saying that's ideally, I suppose it would be in the IEP. We could reference that. Um, but at least in a PRO one documenting that we're all on the same page and that the parents don't need to send it. We can provide one if they'd want, but especially as kids get older, they want to use the same device everybody else is. And in many cases, that's good enough. Absolutely. But what about Jeremy, at least practical point, if we go back all the way to our phone call that started us, right? How do we help prevent some of those, you know, misguided uses or sales of those assistive tech devices when they do go home? You know, making sure we have the right device, I think, is is a good start. It doesn't need to have all the bells and whistles. It doesn't need to be the most current version of it. Uh, you and I were giving a presentation a few months ago, and I used a, what's the Google? The Chrome. I used a Google Chrome computer for the first time. I had no idea how locked down those things are. There's not a lot of stuff you could do. It took me a little bit of time as, as you put on a good show for the presentation to get it uh, connected to a projector and to get a, a presentation on it. So, you know, think like that. Well, what's, what's the thing that does what we need it to do, but not much else? And if that thing doesn't exist, what can our, our uh, IT staff do to help us lock it down? We don't need to make it available. And by the way, we're more than free to monitor those things. I would tell folks, because we're the state, I don't want any allegation that we're violating the, you know, Fourth Amendment or something. But, you know, tell them, hey, look, just like with our students when they use devices, this is monitored. There are limits built into this. We will know. I mean, you want to carefully word it, but basically we're going to know. Well, absolutely. And I think by informing them it's in writing. Yep. I wouldn't want to have that verbal conversation, but putting it in writing and making sure, though, for those moments that you're having backups in place. So yep. if you I get if it's a, you know, the Braille note taker, you might not have backups for that immediately available. But if it's a Chromebook, if it's an iPad, making sure you have one available. If it does get broken, stolen, lost, sold, you know, now all of the malware is on it due to <laughs> some other nefarious things that were happening on it. I think that that's those are good options when you can have those relatively cheap backups in place. And there's low tech solutions to some problems, too. If the child shows up at the beginning of every school day and their iPad, the battery's completely depleted, but they need it, we need to think about seating for that child and make sure they're near a place where they can plug in and charge it. Uh, or is it something iPads are cheap enough? Do we have a second one that's at school and we send the old one home and we just don't even plan on using it because we know it's never going to be charged. We just plug it in so it's charged when the kid goes home. Those are the sorts of things we do. It can be frustrating because it feels like we're doing a lot of hand-holding for the parent, but it's not about the parent. It's about the child and making sure that child receives FAPE. So in terms of all these practical pointers, Jeremy, is there one that you would leave us with in terms of, you know, we're talking assistive tech, we're talking about how best do we help clients work through providing assistive tech to kids to make sure the kids' needs are being met? You know, I think it's just very broadly keeping in mind that there, there are two elements to assistive tech. There's the, the substantive side of it, which is ensuring a kid's getting FAPE. So this, this device does what the child needs it to do for that child. And then there's the procedural side uh, of it where we're making sure, as you noted earlier, it's a team decision about what we need, what the functions it's going to have. And if we check both of those boxes, we're going to be in good shape. That's it for today's episode. 
Thank you for joining us. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not specific legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. Be sure to check out other episodes at ennisbritton.com or wherever you find your podcasts. If you have a topic you would like to learn more about, a question about today's episode, or anything else you would like to share, please email us at podcast at We're looking forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you.